0: Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap. Yes, it's your shorthand guide to the week's biggest TV news stories, brought to you by the Broadcast editorial team. I'm Broadcast senior reporter Max Goldbarth, and this week we have an interview with an extremely special guest, chewing gum creator and deliverer of 2018's blistering McTaggart lecture, Michaela Cole. Michaela has been speaking with our reporter Desiree Ibequa And we'll have all the reaction from Des about this insightful interview that took place earlier this week. Elsewhere, what's that coming over the hill? Is it a streamer? Yes, it's a streamer. HBO Max launches in the US this week. And our Insight Editor, Jesse Witter, is on hand to give you listeners even more insight than usual. All that, plus what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. Des, great to have you back on the pod. How are you this week?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm warm. I've just been consistently warm, but yeah, I'm good.
0: Consistently warm is the order of the day. <laughs> Jesse Whittuck, you were uh, you were podless last week. It was a I week was. off the Jesse. How how was your week without the pod?
2: Uh, if I felt bereft. Uh, I felt sad, and uh, and needed to make an immediate return.
0: The the big trio, the big trio. Well, you were you were sorely missed, Jesse, and it's it's good to have you back. And Thank later we'll be, we'll be talking HBO Max. But first of all, Des, you, uh, you interviewed Michaela Cole earlier this week. How did that go?
1: Yeah, no, so I know. So I interviewed Michaela Cole, who is the, the brains behind Chewing Gum and Now I May Destroy You, which is a BBC HBO co-pro. And yeah, we spoke about a bunch of things. We spoke about her Taggart two years ago, You know the development of the show, which is based on very sensitive personal experience. And yeah, no, it was great. She was great.
0: Great. Well, we're going to go to a little clip of that interview, and we'll be back shortly. Uh, A disclaimer, the audio quality of the interview is slightly crackly.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for for hopping on this call. So, kind of getting onto the show, um, it's a a deeply sensitive topic, and I was wondering about the development process for the project.
4: Uh, Yes, I had a a personal experience, as you may know already. um, Mm -hmm. I was... My drink was spiked, and I was sexually assaulted by a stranger and um I had therapy for a long time I still checking with my therapist now, but uh with everything that I write, there is some sort of uh reality involved that I take inspiration from and it was and is such a huge part of my of my life of my narrative that it felt um, i I had the conviction to do it there wasn't really a, a decision to It was a conviction that grew from within me before I was uh, aware I didn't control it. Um, I was working on Black Earth Rising and went to meet peers about it. And uh, I just spoke to him for an hour and uh, he wrote to me the next day saying um, we'd like you to do this. You don't need to write a treatment. You don't need to write a pilot. We want you to relate through to your voice. Would you like to do it with us? and um this was really for me a dream. Um and and not you know, they gave me creative freedom and control but but also questioned me through every draft and it's the same with Phil about um they questioned me questioned asked me what I meant and also I, I spoke with people of people who had experiences um like mine and realised how common this was uh, of not being sure whether you consented to something was in, 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 in our, in our modern-day culture. It probably existed long before I was born too. I'm very appreciative of the fact that I was given full creative control, but also um, felt very guided, um, very questioned. They asked mm. me so many questions when they weren't clear on what I was trying to communicate and uh, that was the process. And it was a really beautiful process. And, of course, you know, the BBC has a certain amount of funding, but it, it wasn't really all that we needed to make, the show that we wanted to make. So then we went to America, um, uh, maybe was about uh, seven seven months into the process of writing, mm-hmm. and um, pitched to HBO, to the ones who grab Grabbit. And um, what I liked was she read uh, the draft and had a very deep understanding of, of the script and it blew my mind how much she understood about me needing to converse about it so uh, it felt like the the right place she really is attuned to what i was trying to um do
3: yeah and i think it's incredibly powerful that you're, you're fronting it as well as writing it so i i wonder what that's like working through that and being at the forefront because it's one thing to write it; it is another thing to be in it like how did you look after yourself and make, making looking after
4: your mental health um, therapy is awesome, you know, um, I have a fantastic therapist and also on top of that when we began to, you know, in fact before we began to shoot, Phil Clark, who is very amazing, said um, mm-hmm. we're going to get a therapist to be on standby the whole time, so I checked in with um, Lou a lot, he was the therapist, he was on standby for the show, uh, medication, yoga, mm-hmm. exercise, so helpful, um, Taking um, a train to Kent and spending a couple of days in a cheap Airbnb that a couple of a built in their back garden, you know, something people mm-hmm. like little cabins in their gardens. Uh, these things I, I think were, were crucial to ensuring that I remained okay once we shot. Also, sleep. Um, yeah. it, I was always determined to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Sometimes the schedule was very full. And there was no way that I could, but those were very rare occasions. What was it like to work to work with, with HBO? Um, so this is the first time I have worked with um, Americans. You know, Black Mirror, I was working with Charlie Brooker. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. He shot it here, you know, he we went to Lanzarote, Spain.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You don't really feel the presence of this uh, streaming service kind of thing. I, I don't know anything about Netflix. Uh, I I could have done this show with them and I decided not to because I I wanted to retain some of my rights. So Mm. HBO enabled me to do that. This is why, uh, yes, it's been a great experience.
3: Uh, kind of going to your, to your MacTaggart, it really struck a chord in terms of the, the, the treatment of misfits, the way that the industry uh, lords them, but kind of keeps their distance at the same time. Yeah. I, I wonder whether you think there's been progress on that in the British television industry. Do you think there are more misfits? Are they treated better?
4: Um, at the time that I wrote that lecture, because it was my challenge, it meant I was um, swapping contracts. With people, I was asking questions to gather data. Now I obviously haven't been doing that because I've been working on my show. So it's very hard to know whether things, how things have progressed. What I do know is that there is at least one company, and that's very that's going very disassociated from lipstick world platforming them, um, since they were so mindful of my well-being, and I just want other production companies to look at them and see how it's supposed to be done. That's how it's supposed to be done. Um, I've been empowered, and I I don't know whether this is happening. I don't know. I'm curious about how uh, the experience of people from the LGBTQ community, people of Mm. color, I'm really curious about how their experiences have gone. I'm curious as to as to whether they have um, even had opportunities in order to experience good or bad things about this industry. I don't know, and I am so curious. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh,
3: oh, going back to the show, like, what do you, what do you want the impact to be? Like, what what do you want people to take away from it? it
4: it's so many things, and and and, and also, like, it, it, is it anything? It, it, I am I a part of my heart, which I don't engage with a lot because my expectations become high, are that people who have had um, experiences that are traumatic watch this and somehow feel like they're not alone, that it inspires um, people, that it shows a seed. But I try to not engage with that part of myself because it's sort of hopeful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like this hopeful part of me. But, and then the other part of me says, Michaela, you're doing your job. Once that thing has TX, and it's out, your job is done, and it's mm-hmm. time to move on, and to have yeah. a break. We are working away in post-production right now, and when it's done, it's done. It's out in the world, and there isn't much I can do. Um, at the same time, I, I do hope that it, it inspires thought and um, that it might stir something inside of us, inside of the individual whilst they watch that it calls us to look inside, to look inward and um, explore our internal selves and how we're doing.
3: Thank you so much uh, for chatting with me. Um, I know you're very busy.
0: <laughs> Des, that was fantastic. And, and I felt like you touched on a, a range of topics there. First of all, what, what did you what did you think of Michaela as a person?
1: Great. I mean, she's you know, she doesn't mince her words. So I think is is pretty, you know, refreshing to to hear someone, you know, have an opinion and say it like without without concern. I mean, she makes she raises valid points. So I think it's it's neither here nor there. I mean, like, she's kind of inspirational. I I, I wish I could be that candid, but alas, <laughs>
0: yeah, no, well, she, she, is. Great. she is quite the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- w- would you say? Uh, I mean, w- as I said, we covered covered quite a range in that clip. W- were there some key takeaways, maybe, from the interview that we may not have heard?
1: This may have come come across, but I think you know she's really taken this time, this project, to look after herself. So I don't know if it, you know, it's not in the in the in the clip, but she talks about you know going to a cabin in Kent or like and taking walks in the forest. I mean, she's really taken the time to look after herself. Which is obviously, you know, necessary. But yeah, no, she seems like a very someone that's very at one, very zen, um, and you know, does yoga, which is again inspirational. See, it's all it's all coming together. She's a very inspirational person, just
0: generally. Inspirational is is the name of the game this week. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the show I've I've seen some the odd clip of I May Destroy You, uh, which is shortly going to be on BBC One, and it's it's uh, there's obviously a sort of self autobiographical nature to it. Do you think it's going to have a bit of an impact beyond? I, mean, I, I imagine it'll be it'll it'll rate quite well, and I, I imagine it'll be quite well received. Do, do you think it will go beyond that in in terms of maybe impacting future telly or or having a sort of internal impact on the sector almost?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's you know pretty pretty heavy stuff, but it's authored by a black woman talking about her own experiences of sexual assault. So that's I think that's that's pretty radical in and of itself. But she, you know, as she said in the clip, had a lot of creative control. And I think it's important for, you know, when we have, I know, people of colour or, you know, misfits, as she said in Hermit Taggart, have an actual stake in the industry rather than, you know, superficial credits. So I think, yeah, beyond just the subject matter, I think her role in that show is going to have quite an impact for people coming up behind her.
2: Des, d- did Michaela feel that the mctaggart which was so powerful in 2018 does she feel that that speech has had the impact that she wanted it to have did she did she sort of approach or 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 get onto that topic
1: she she said that she would be interested to see what has happened i think she pitched this store this show in 2018 and it was a labor of love there was a lot going on so i think she hasn't had time to you know take another broad sweep of the industry and see what's happening but I I think she she feels like you know her own experience with various artists limited who's the the producers of the show they've empowered her they made her feel safe and comfortable so for her I think the jury's still out she's curious to know she she's you know said that she she would want to find out so I think we'll have to wait and see what, what her take is on the on the current state of the industry
0: yeah, it did sound like that. That that what what she did briefly touch upon uh, about it in the clip did sound a little bit like maybe the jury's still out. I was having a little little think back to the to that Mctaggart, which is almost two years ago now. We had Dorothy Byrne in between with with a similarly kind of blistering broadside, you might call it. But I was looking back, and there were some there were some great quotes. Cole said that broadcasters, production companies, and streaming services have been Scrabbling for misfits like kids in a playground, scrabbling for sweets, not sure of the taste, just aware they might be very profitable. Which I, th- I thought was a- an absolutely amazing quote. She also said, Why are we platforming misfits, heralding them as newly rich successes whilst they balance on creaking ladders? Quite, really quite, it's quite yeah. intense
2: stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really, really, really putting the industry under a spotlight. And I think that's what um, Michaela's been really good at doing. Is, um, is shining a light on those areas where TV really should have made more progress and hasn't done. And, and, and hopefully she is one of the vanguards of a, of a new generation of, of creators who will actually change things. And certainly with the new show, it seems like she's, she's going some way to doing that. And you, you hope that there are more like her out there. But it's um, it, always good to hear from someone like that, a, a sort of a unique voice in the industry
0: yeah yeah and i remember i remember being very impressed by her so so i think around that time she launched her own indie actually which was just kind of like a production vehicle and they're co-producing on on mm-hmm. i may destroy you right and she she seemed to have a really good idea of how to navigate the industry beyond just being the talent and that came out and and it seems like there'll there'll be more of that to come Uh, I I wonder if I've been thinking a bit as well about the the impact of of coronavirus on on diversity improvements did she touch on that or 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 if if not what do you reckon Des do you you think corona is gonna is gonna slow things down in in diversity and inclusion gains or or possibly speed things up
1: yeah I mean I spoke to the kind of chief exec of the CDN a couple of weeks ago now maybe two months time is very weird at the moment. Um, it
3: really but, is. Um,
1: She she did say that you know there's obviously concern that you know during it, during COVID like during the pandemic during lockdown programming that they're not going to access those people who are more diverse and reach for the usual suspects. I mean, I've I, again after that I've spoken to a number of people who are who are BAME or you know are in the industry and it just feels like there's been a bit of a stop on it at the moment. And obviously you know the industry dealing with existential questions. But really, you know, diversity, a lot of people are saying that diversity should be so baked into the way that people are working that it shouldn't be a consideration to pause and restart when, when, when you know, things, things get back to normal. So there's obviously, there's obviously a risk. People at Channel 4 are, are still ring fencing money for, you know, small, small BAME and regional Indies. So we'll have to wait and see. But it's, it's just very disappointing for certain people that it's something that's an add-on rather than something that's kind of imbued and baked into the way that we, we
0: work. Mm. yeah the general response is almost a little bit worrying mm, uh, mm. and also often this stuff costs money doesn't it and and broadcasters and indies have less to spend so it's, as you identified if it's considered an add-on add-ons mm. are currently the things that that are being removed at the moment so therefore therefore you do worry today is the, the 28th of may and and tomorrow we'll be publishing both Dez's interview with michaela cole and and my interview with uh, June Sarpong, who's the new head of creative diversity for the BBC. And, and she took a, a more positive view, thinking that as coronavirus sort of speeds up the way in which we work as an industry and, and we make quick gains in certain areas, such as working from home, for instance, we're all, we're all realising that working from home is, is eminently possible. Areas in, in the diversity space could also improve at a faster rate she thinks so so there are clearly some some conflicting views
2: out there yeah and there there is that argument that i've heard uh, several times speaking to a producer uh from a a bane background last week who was talking who was talking about the fact that her indie is uh, a regional company small regional company and that her t- her take on things was the coronavirus lockdown has in effect leveled the playing field slightly because everyone's sort of doing the same things and you know the the whole kind of London media set idea or group has um obviously kind of ceased to be for the time being there's that old old adage that people talk about you know the producer bumping into the commissioner in on the third floor of the BBC you know Mm. as they wait for the lifts and then doing that sort of elevator pitch as they call them getting shows away that way there's a sense that that's probably going to go away a little bit and and hopefully the sort of culture behind that will will go away to an extent and and level the playing field there's clearly lots of different takes on on how we're going here and there's going to be a lot more to to investigate as we go forwards
1: yeah I, I just wanted to add to that as well like obviously there's been talk more generally about what what COVID going to change but I think it needs to be on on some level like an active Decision on on the industry's part. I think you know I've spoken to people that are like, great that everyone's saying things are going to change, but actually, how do you put things in place to make sure that actually happens? Because it's very easy to be like, oh, you know, everyone, like no one, you know, people are going to be on more Zoom calls, but if you don't hold people to account and have, have codified rules or ways of working, then it, there's definitely a risk that that's going to fall by the wayside, and we just, yeah, start having Pret lunches and stuff. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nothing wrong with a Pret lunch. <laughs> there's
1: everything wrong with a Pret lunch.
0: <laughs> Des, good stuff. Uh, Well, I'm certainly looking forward to reading your interview that is available now on www.broadcastnow.co.uk. Michaela's new BBC One series, I May Destroy You, is co-produced with HBO, and the US powerhouse of Game of Thrones fame launched its streamer, HBO Max, this week. Jesse Whittock, our Insight Editor, is here to guide us through it. So Jesse, HBO Max is is launching alongside a a string of other really big budgeted services. What the hell can it do to stand out?
2: So a little bit of context on the HBO Max service itself. So it's a US only service for the time being. The folk behind it, so Warner Media, owned by telecoms giant AT&T over there, have talked about taking it international at a later date, but I'll get a bit more onto that in uh, in a couple of minutes but effectively what this service is is the kind of amalgamation of all of those brands that sat together within the the old um, warner group so that's hbo the Turner channels and and warner brothers effectively and for warner media as the company is now this is a massive play akin to this, the play that disney have taken with disney disney plus so they're really you know staking the furniture and staking the house on on this being a success. Obviously in the US, the, the HBO cable channel is kind of absolutely aligned with that sort of premium programming. It's known for shows like The Wire, The Sopranos, you know, Six Feet Under, True Detective, some of those absolute cultural milestone TV shows. But HBO Max represents a sort of different step for the business. After AT&T took over Warner, there was a kind of cultural war broke out to an extent. So the old guard HBO guys like Richard Plepler, who was the former CEO, were very keen to protect the HBO brand and what it represents, that kind of high-end documentary, high-end drama, a bit of premium sports, that that sort of brand. Whereas the the guy who sort of took over Warner Media, who is now actually the CEO of AT&T, man called john Stankey. uh he famously went into the uh, into a um, town hall meeting with the company and effectively said you guys are way too slow and you need to produce a lot more stuff which is kind of the antithesis of the hbo model which is carefully created and curated programming made by sort of premium creators right so you've got this this massive new service which effectively obviously the the parent company has won out and they're launching this service they've got all sorts of programs on it and it will be fascinating max to see uh, how this fits into the kind of emerging ecosystem of mm. uh, svod services
0: yeah it, it does it so does sound to me like like a lot is being staked on this service so a year or two down the line what what is termed as a success maybe in terms of subs maybe maybe in terms of quality of, of original programming well, What what do you think makes this a success
2: well, it's really hard to say because you've got that you've seen these ultra successes like Netflix, which just keeps adding on subscribers quarter after quarter, you know, hit record quarters early again this year. Disney Plus has already reached 50 million subs plus uh, that's obviously an international service, but that's doing really well. It's been really well received. Um, even Amazon Prime's doing, you know, holding very firm uh, we had a story on broadcast this week about how in the UK, Amazon is the main beneficiary of the trend for people to take more than one SVOD service. So, it's, so Amazon is still growing. So you've got all these really good competing services with NBC's Peacock set to launch in July, I believe. So it's really difficult to say. I mean, one thing that HBO has to deal with is it's really expensive, this service. It's um, it's $14.99 a month. That's in dollars, Um, which effectively... there's There's a number of reasons for that. I think the first of all is that they're trying to say by that number how good the service is, how much, how many hours they have. I think it's 10,000 hours launched, loads of Warner movies. They've got the uh, entire Friends catalogue, uh, South Park's on there. Unexpectedly, they uh, launched with the Harry Potter movies. So Warner had licensed the Harry Potter movies to NBC a few years back, and it was expected that those movies would launch on Peacock don't know the ins and outs of that deal, but effectively the service launched yesterday with Harry Potter there. So that's a massive draw again. And I think that they're trying to say that, you know, this product is a standout in the market because of what we offer. There are also sort of contractual things in terms of the cable market and the cable providers in the us i won't get into that it's kind of a bit dull and a bit boring um, and they also don't want to undercut the uh the hbo products which is which is a premium cable channel over there so it's expensive so there's all those reasons for that but i mean it makes it difficult to quantify what a success is like is is 10 million paying a higher price better than 50 million paying and you know a, a cheaper price but growing faster it's really hard to say but um it's a fascinating play by by the uh, warner media group
0: it's an interesting set, setting the price at such a high price point uh, and you're right i think there are some ins and outs not let To do with cable but but also it it does seem to on a wider basis kind of reflect hbo as that premium service. And, and maybe as you said, 10 million to 15 million subs is, is ample when you're charging quite a bit and when you want to, to provide real quality to the, to the people that are using your service. And what, 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 do, you think, what do you think of the, the impact of coronavirus here? I so always feel like we have to ask this question. We've got Quibi. Quibi on the one hand, which has been so, claims to have been so hard hit by coronavirus as, that, as that's hit its main business play got disney plus on the other on the other hand going great guns picking up subs here there and everywhere as as people are stuck indoors uh so w- will hbo max maybe fit somewhere in between that
2: so bob greenblatt who is running the hbo max service uh he's an old uh, he's not old that's uh, that's very unfair uh he is a a veteran u.s programmer used to run mbc very successfully Uh, he's worked for you know most of the big studios and uh, knows network tv sort of inside out he talked about the fact that during lockdown and i don't think he's the only person to have said something similar to this there won't be too much of a problem because they're relatively stocked in terms of their originals they've got lots of stuff they've got loads of library content and they're not too worried in the short term but he did an interview this week uh, i think it was with cnn which would make sense because that's another warner Owned business in which he said they are anticipating a shortfall of new original stuff sort of towards the end of this year, early 2021. And that's where he's a bit more concerned because obviously there is no production happening at the moment. You would think at this stage they would be looking to commission a whole slate of new shows to. Populate that sort of time period. They're not going to be able to at the moment. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, what they have done, which is uh, different to something like Disney Plus, is they've been really acquisitive. They've bought lots of titles. So they're launching with British shows like Doctor Who, bought Luther, things like uh, there's a there's a whole bunch of shows that they've uh, that they've got. And they are looking for more they've heard uh, green black was actually saying in this interview that he's happy to to buy library shows because they're really good and they're helpful and so that gives um distributors an opportunity to talk to them um so that just shows the sort of level that they're willing to go to to um to st- stock up in areas that they need but it's i think like everyone else it's going to be sort of you know six months down the line from here there will be a problem.
0: What about international expansion? Are are we to expect HBO Max in the UK anytime soon?
2: Uh, It's a weird one. Previously, the way HBO particularly would operate internationally was to partner with other premium services in local territories. So over here in the UK, as we know, Sky Atlantic has run the HBO Originals for a number of years since I want to say 2014 or 2015. That deal was re-upped last year, which was to an extent a surprise. You thought they might have pulled back on that and tried to implement the uh, HBO Max service uh, in the UK. But it doesn't look like we're going to get that anytime soon, certainly not until about 2022, 2023. And it looks like they are much more uh, in with Sky and they're happy with the way that Sky Atlantic's working. Similarly, last week or certainly um, very recently, they re-upped with Foxtel over in Australia. So Foxtel are de- akin to uh, Sky over in the UK. Which is exactly the same sort of thing. They have, you know, HBO branded channels or certainly HBO content blocks, and th- so you can see they are not being quite as aggressive as somewhere like Di- someone like Disney, uh, who has launched all over the world uh, very quickly. My guess is we won't see the HBO stuff uh, on HBO Max in the UK for a long time. I also think that stuff might go on Peacock if Peacock launches here, as Peacock is owned by the same company that owns sky so there is a a chance for that to happen i think that would be a bit of a kick in the teeth for uh, hbo but there you go that's one to watch Mm.
0: so many complexities Uh, but it's been really good to hear about it jesse you are a well of knowledge on this stuff
2: Uh, i'm glad to hear it i've been doing it for long enough i uh, hope i have something to say
0: and now on to everybody's favorite section what we've been watching. Although we, we we say it's everyone's favourite section each week, but we haven't polled our listeners yet. So. I, d- I think, I mean, it, I think it's our it. favourite part, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah we, just, we just like to talk about TV. Des, what have you been watching?
1: I've been watching The Mindy Project, which is Mindy Kaling's sitcom from eight years ago. I watched it first when I was 16, but I've re-watched it now and I get some of the jokes. So I'm like, oh, it is very good. So I've been watching that on my parents' SkyGo. Because I'm a scrounger, and yeah, no, it's really funny. It's like very silly, very absurd. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Though there's like glaring issues in every episode, but I'm like politically, it doesn't matter. It's no, there's no time to be woke when you're watching Mindy Kaling. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that, that's that's what I've been making my way through for the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny rewatching these things. Are there are there some jokes which they couldn't have got away with? Absolutely not. Man.
1: Even at the top of the first episode, I was like, nope. <laughs>
0: like, no,
1: just it's not. It's not. It's not okay. Um and also really weird things. Like there's an appearance from Seth Rogan in a shirt that says army on it, and he's a veteran. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on. It was just like so on the nose. Like, it was it's it's been it's been fun.
0: Excellent. And Jesse, you've been trawling through Amazon Prime Video.
2: I have. Um and I've been doing two things, Max. One, as you know, I've been trying to get through season 10 of the uh, MasterChef Australia uh, and, going. It's, and it's, going. It's, 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 it's painful there are 61 episodes in that series and it's basically always on in the background it seems to be I don't think I've actually watched an episode properly um, <laughs> but um, it, it, is a, it is a good show when you sit down but it's, it's, um, it's way too positive for a Brit like me and it's um, yeah there's just a lot I mean the episodes are really long I feel sorry for Um, The Australian TV public who have to, I think it's on every single night when it's on over there. So that has sort of been on. But mainly I've been watching this cop show. It's one of the older Amazon originals called Bosch, which is based on the Michael Connolly novels. They're bestsellers. They're sort of like trashy, you know, airport WH Smith sort of books trash is probably the wrong word they're, they're well written but they are very formulaic and you could probably apply that to the series it's got some of the best producers in america behind it so you've got people like eric overmeyer who was uh, one of the uh, the guys behind the wire in fact it, the, one of the stars is uh, jamie hector uh, he, he plays the sidekick. Jamie Hector's best known for playing Marlowe in The Wire. Those who've watched The Wire know that Marlowe is the biggest bastard who's probably ever been put on television. So you've got all these like, funny little TV references that I enjoy. The main character's real name is Titus Welliver, which is brilliant as well. The show itself, bits of it are brilliant. Some of the dialogue is really hammy. Um, it's really nicely shot. I recommend it if you want a sort of slightly nonsense watch that's that's my uh, that's my takeaway
0: great stuff well i think we could all do with a slightly nonsense watch at the moment uh so that sounds fantastic bosh on on amazon prime video and des and jesse it's been a pleasure as ever thanks for joining me on this week's broadcast news wrap thank you for listening to this week's broadcast news wrap i've been senior reporter max goldbart And you've been listening to Chewing Gum creator Michaela Cole, broadcast reporter Desiree Ibequa, and Insight editor Jesse Witter. You can check out the pod on Spotify and iTunes, or on our website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.